This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. The world needs godly, courageous, and committed leaders. As Doug Stringer often reminds us, our desire to win must be greater than our moments of challenge. When you listen, subscribe, and share a Word in Season podcast, you are promoting words of encouragement and hope in a world that's plagued by negativity and despair. Thank you for being that shining light. On today's episode, we will be joining Doug at Grace Church in Woodlands, Texas. He's going to share about having a heart like Hannah, who in 1 Samuel chapter 1 poured her soul out before the Lord. Once again, would we become united and our hearts cry to God, Lord, you are all we want. Let's listen to the message. Lisa and I, in one of our visits to Israel, just so happened to be that we were in Jerusalem in the upper room on Pentecost Sunday. And of course, people from all over the world, they come because it's a, it's a kind of a gathering point, but coming for what if, what, what was. And I was just there and feeling like a, a sardine with all these people and just saying, God, oh, if we only understood that it's really about you and that what you did all those 2,000 years ago in this very place, the rushing mighty wind, the fire of God, the consuming presence of a holy, holy, holy God, and what took place at that moment that changed and turned the world upside down. In that moment, if God could do it then, he can do it now. And then another significant moment for me, in that same trip, we went over to a place they just found and began to do an archeological dig at a place called Shiloh. And you'll remember the story in 1 Samuel 1 of the Tabernacle of Shiloh. And when Hannah, in her most humanly impossible situation, cried out to God in the tabernacle. So I wanted to go and find that place and find little flags and find out where the outer court would have been and the congregational court and where the Holy of Holies would have been. And we found a spot that we believed that maybe Hannah would have cried out to God in the tabernacle. And in that place, we knelt down and said, God, again, if you can do it then, you can do it now. Believing for God to show up in the miraculous way, in a supernatural way. We need that supernatural manifestation of God again. And out of our desperation, out of our place of needing God, and that place of saying, you're all I want, you're all I need, in that place of recognizing the glory of God, when we can get our focus off of all these other things and onto Him, I believe God can do something so fresh, so new. Isaiah 48 says he wants to do a new thing. There's nothing new under the sun, but God wants to do it in a fresh new way. It may not look like the revivals we've been a part of in the past or the way he's done them in history past, but he wants to do something fresh. Through that time at the tabernacle, I wrote an article about is the glory of God departing? And specifically, is the glory of God departing from the U.S.? And the day after that article was published, and talking about really about what happened with Hannah, because the story, let me just preface with this, the story is that God made a perpetual command that the oil in the lamp should always stay full so that the lamp 
would illuminate light over the Ark of the Covenant. So the lamp representing the oil of the Holy Spirit's illumination over the presence of God. And God's command was that for the priesthood to always be a good steward to make sure the oil stayed full so the lamp would never go out. And it was a command of God that this was always to be in the tabernacle or in the temple, that the light, the oil should stay full, the light should never go out, depicting the manifestations of the glory of God, the presence of God, the power of God, and, and illuminating over the presence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit to us. And yet in Hannah's desperation, on a total human factor, went to the tabernacle, asking God out of a human impossibility for God to do a work and fill her empty womb. And she would dedicate her son, which became Samuel, to the work of the Lord all the days of his life. And in that place, though, unbeknownst to her, what was being done in private was a disobedience to God by Hophni and Phinehas. And Hophni and Phinehas were not being the stewards of priests they were supposed to be in stewarding the tabernacle. And they, in their own self-indulgences, began to let the oil go so low that the light went out. And so as God was hearing the cry of a desperate prayers in a humanly impossible situation, in that place, God also saw the wickedness of what was happening that no one else saw. And so God answers her and she gives a prayer. And I want to read that prayer to you because out of our desperation, out of the places that we've been, I want us to just look over her prayer as kind of a primer for our prayer today. And she prayed in 1 Samuel chapter 2 after God had given her a promise. And it says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My strength and my horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none beside you. Lord, you're all I need. You're all I want. Nor is there any rock like our God. Take no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bowels of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumble are girded with strength. And those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, and those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has made many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And then he goes on in scripture here after her prayer and talks about the sins in darkness by Hophni and Phinehas. And then chapter 3, we rejoice with Hannah because she gives birth out of a humanly impossible situation. God hears her cry. And it was there that God begins to speak to a, a young Samuel. Samuel, 
And Samuel thought it was Eli speaking to him, the father of Hophni and Phinehas, and goes to, to Eli, and Eli says, go back. It wasn't me, and he hears again, Samuel. And finally, Eli says, go back. It's the Lord speaking to you. You see, God was speaking in, through an impossible situation, brings forth a, a new generation of righteous judge and prophet through Hannah to replace what was done in darkness because at that time the light had gone dim. The oil went out and the light went out and God allowed an Ichabod where the glory of God had departed. It really wasn't a place of God fulfilling his promises to his people. It was a place of getting the attention, realizing without me there is nothing. When we come to the place of God, you're all I need. You're all I want. And recognizing all the strength and all the institutions and all the things of men, all the things that our flesh longs for cannot satisfy the longing of our soul like the Lord himself because only God can satisfy the longing of our soul. I was reading in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 earlier this week, and, and it says, in verse 12, it says, I, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion for the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. In other words, what does God mean when he says, what does he mean by the fear of the Lord? And what does he mean that, that what he hates? And I just put these thoughts down because Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. So what is the fear of the Lord? For me, it's not this fear that I'm afraid that uh, that God somehow is upset with me. It's more like, I don't want to be out of his presence. I want and long for his presence. As we sang earlier, Lord, you're all I want. You're all I need. To know that in that place is a glorious place, the place where he's exalted in our lives and hearts and thoughts, and it's in that place he does things that only he can do. But what does he hate? Very clearly he says he hates pride. He hates arrogance. He hates the evil way. In one translation, it says, instead of perverse, he says he hates the froward mouth. It's, it's that place it's where we're difficult to deal with, where we're contrary to his things and his ways because his ways are higher than our ways. And, and God says, look, if, if I hate those actions, but I don't hate you. God loves us, and he wants us to draw close to him so we can enjoy the manifestation of his presence and the goodness of who he really is and the great and amazing and abounding grace of God that comes through a revelation of who Jesus is, the son of his love, at the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection. God, you're all we need. You're all we want. And sometimes I have to also like all of us have to be reminded of certain things that God has told us and along the way because it's easy to become stretched and distracted. And even in my own life, I mean, I, my whole life is about consecration, commitment, and action. To be a tangible expression of Christ, but it has to come from a holy place and that place of prayer and that place of his presence. I know that here. And sometimes I have to be reminded that it's not just words. It's a place that I have to live and dwell in. And moments like this where these last few weeks, I wonder how many, including myself, rather than redeeming the moments and the times of what we're going through in that place of the chambers of our 
hearts with God that, that we have squandered some of those times by frivolous things or things that, that can take our attention and take our hearts and distract us. When God is saying, don't let this, this moment be squandered, but take advantage of the redemption of what I plan in this time to turn evil into good and take what was meant for harm into your good. Because when this thing lifts, we'll, we'll be ready as an army of God for the day of his power. Psalms 110 verse 2 and 3 says that there was an army of young and old alike, an army that was brought together as volunteers, an army of volunteers for the day of God's power. We're in that moment. And we have to be ready. You don't prepare once the battle happens. You don't prepare when you prepare now. And this is our moment of preparation, having our hearts come back to our first love and say, God, you're all I want. You're all I need. So that my spirit man, which wars against the flesh, will be like, God, I hate pride. God, I hate pride in my life. God, I hate any arrogance or evil way in my life. God, help me not to be contrary, difficult with you. But God, let me respond to you because of who you are in my life and the great and amazing and abounding grace that you've provided for me. I got reminded by someone who said, Doug, remember you got this word back in August, the day after you wrote that article. And uh, it was actually, I won't say what organization, it was one of the largest Christian organizations in the world. And the vice president of operations sent me a letter and said in August of 2012, 21st, August 1st, he wrote this. It says, Dear Mr. Stringer, and let me just share my heart. This is just about what he's speaking to me as a reminder. But God could be speaking to you in different ways. It takes sometimes what God has spoken to us through people that we respect that jolts us back into a moment where we are so we can get back to what God already wants us to do. Dear Mr. Stringer, yesterday I read your article as the glory of God departing in such and such magazine. It is one of the best prophetic insights I have read or heard concerning where the body of Christ is today. I come, and I'm not saying this to because I'm trying to impress you. I'm just saying what he told me, which reminds me why I've got to stay in my lane and not try to be who I'm not. I am who I am, who God's called me to be. Just like you, you have to be who God's called you to be. At the end of the day, I'm just an evangelist, a revivalist at heart that just wants to see the presence of God in my life and the lives of people that he allows me to touch. I commend you for your clarity and willingness to share hard truths in love to the church of Jesus. Your writing carried the authority of a spiritual father warning the body of Christ and the bride of Christ in a time of great compromise. The Apostle Paul's burden for the Ephesians church needs to be duplicated by us today. And then he gives some scriptures in Acts 20 to 31 where Paul speaks and says, be on your guard, be warned. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you not in day with tears. And then he says, I want to encourage you, brother, to make room for your prophetic gifting to warn and guide the body of Christ. Stir up the gift of God in you and fearlessly proclaim those insights. And he says in Revelation 10, 11, the apostle John received a word from the Lord. You must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations, tongues and kings. I believe this eternal word to John is a rhema to you. And as I receive words, I, I don't receive them just for me. I believe it's for us. And I think it's for leaders, for us to remember why we do what we do. And God is calling us. This is a time that we, when we say prophets, I'm not having to say, thus saith the Lord, but we're watchmen. We're called 
to direct people to the one, Jesus, but at the same time also have a clearing call and shout it from the rooftops of the signs of the times of A.W. Tozer says we must know and have insight, spiritual insight to the prophetic times that we live. And then he warns me and he says, Doug, you must prophesy concerning the nations and tongues and kings. Obey the Lord and you will know his favor. Hold back and you'll become part of the problem. As I read that last part, I said, Lord, I I don't want to become so comfortable in whatever element of influence you've allotted me. I want to make sure I stay true to you because you're all I want and you're all I need. And that's exactly what we all need is his presence. So I believe that word is not about me. I believe it's about that we have to stay true to the calling of God in our lives and stay focused on our first love and come to that place of abandonment that says, God, I want to hate the things you hate. Uh, Lord, I know you love me and you don't hate me. I don't like those things in me, the frailty of my humanity, any uh, hidden or presumptuous sins or pride or arrogance in me, God, help me. So that in my desperation and I call upon you for my family, for my friends, for our congregations, for the body of Christ, for this generation, God, that you will hear our cry. Hear our cry, oh God. Attend to our prayers. For our hearts have been overwhelmed, but you lead us to the rock that is higher than us. God, let us hate the things you hate. But let us walk in the place of the fear of the Lord that is true wisdom of desiring your presence, God. So like Hannah, we call upon you out of human impossibility. You do something so supernatural, so significant that no human being could take credit for it because we know it's you. So Lord, we say to you again, you're all I want. You're all I need. God, let us be the watchman you've called us to be. And let us be a people that attract your presence, God. And God, would you do something in such a way that do it fresh, do it new. But God, like we've experienced in times past, we want a corporate manifestations of your presence that the world will know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Would you sing that as a heart cry to God? You're all I want. You're all I need. You're all I want. You're all I ever needed. You're all I want. Help me know you. The song you've just listened to is titled Draw Me Close to You, written by Kelly Carpenter in 1994. We've included a link to it and want to encourage you, take some time to turn everything else off and turn that song on. Quieten your heart before the Lord and just begin to let Him refresh you 
Maybe like many of us, you've become busy in the things of this life. Not all those things are bad, but a lot of times they'll take us away from the most important thing, and that's focusing on God and letting Him renew and strengthen us. Isaiah 40, 31 says, Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and shall not faint. We want to encourage you as well. If you prayed along with Doug during the message or you're in need of prayer, you can email us prayer at somebodycares.org and let us know how we can come into agreement with you. We pray that during this season, your heart is drawn closer to God and you have a sense of renewal to the calling and the purposes God has on your life. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.